0: Appreciated Nick's message last week. I, I thought he was very good. I you know, since we share much of the preaching, I, I thought it was important that, you know, any errors that are made need to be brought to light, right? You know, in, in some cases maybe heresy. <coughs> um he made the statement last week, I think, from Heather making a transition, Reed greater than Clarkson. I think that needs to be cleared up a little bit, right? My grandma also would, would have made mention, as he was describing my name, he, he had mentioned me last week, as he was describing my name, he, he had said all these great, wonderful things about me, but my grandma used to give me these, I don't know if when you were a kid, these little name cards, you know, did you see those name cards, they got the meaning of your name with a nice Bible verse in there, anybody seen those, had them, alright, my grandma used to give me all those, and in it described a name, and I think as Nick was describing our names last week, it would have probably been important to, to mention them, the meaning of my name, right? which is handsome, which should be pretty evident, but uh, I just thought, you know, two, two, two little things that uh, Nick had failed to mention last week I want to make light of. So uh, we're, we're going to be, you can turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. My wife was asking me yesterday or the day before, you know, with, with uh, everything that's going on, she says, how are you going to work in your uh, favorite Royals clip that you've seen? And I told her, I said, I'm not pushing my own propaganda or agenda on people. I don't do that type of thing, right? So I'll spare you the um, royals, you know, all the royals verbiage today. And I'm just not going not, not gonna to do that to you. So uh, not, not, my, not my style. So uh, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 10. And if you didn't notice, I am wearing a royals t-shirt uh, here. Party like it's 1985. <clears throat> um my grandma Margaret, if she was still living, would probably not be too happy with what I'm wearing. But you know, Mark, chapter 10. Mark, chapter 10. This morning, we are talking about the subject of marriage and divorce, uh, which is not always a fun topic to discuss. Uh, and before I begin, I I would just tell you this: that no matter where you've been, uh, no matter what circumstance you've been in in life, or found mistakes, maybe. You feel you've made that, that this isn't a message for us to look back and, and, and condemn anything we've done in the past. Isn't it awesome that, that we serve a God that has sent his son Jesus that it's no longer about my past? Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome that because I think if you're like me, or maybe I'm alone in this, but I look at my past and and, and thank God that he doesn't look at that, thank God that he doesn't judge me. On That that he doesn't condemn me on that. Instead, when he looks at me, what's he see? He sees his son, Jesus. Isn't that an awesome, incredible thing that he's done? And so as, as we talk about this here in Mark chapter 10 this morning, this is in no way uh, to condemn, no way to make you feel bad uh, about anything that's taken place in your past. This is for us to look forward. It's for us to, to examine our marriages right now, It's for us to examine uh, our relationships right now, and for us that are are single as we think about marriage someday, what that should look like. Does that sound good? Let's pray together. God, we we thank you. We thank you for the writing here in the book of Mark, and all of the book of Mark as we've gone through it. We see the teachings of Jesus. God, as we look at the teachings of Jesus, we, we want to respond to it. If these are the things Jesus says we should do, God, God, may we as individuals, may we as a church, may we respond as Jesus has taught us, as he has showed us. Uh, God, we pray that you would open our hearts, encourage us, challenge us, uh, convict us, whatever needs to be done in our hearts this morning, that you would do that. God, uh, we pray for Ron Billings as we think about him and his family. Uh, we, we are encouraged Uh, by the news yesterday uh, of his improvement health-wise. And God, we pray that you would continue to heal him and raise him back up. We thank you for him and his service to you and your kingdom and to this church. And we just pray uh, for healing and for comfort for the family. Uh, We just ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 begins like this. It says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So what's going on here? Jesus teaching, he has crowds of people following him, right? This is, this is how it is right now for Jesus. He is very popular. People coming to hear what he has to say. Well, there's another group that are kind of tagging along, isn't it? The Pharisees also showing up here. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, are they interested in what Jesus has to say about divorce? Well, probably in some aspects they want to hear him what he has to say. But they are always trying to test and to challenge Jesus. They're trying to trap him. You go all the way back through the book of Mark and look through the Gospels, their end goal is that they want to see Jesus murdered. They want to see Jesus dead. And so their intentions are not that, oh, let's sit at the feet of Jesus and let's learn. That's what's going to happen. But, but their intentions are, how can I trap Jesus? How, how can I catch him in something? So they come to him with this question of divorce. And as you read through this, you, you see this is, wasn't just an issue in the day of Jesus. It was an issue in the day of Moses as well. And as we look at our own day, it's an issue today, isn't it? I I, uh, had found some statistics, and this is uh, some statistics I'll share. In 1970, there was a census that there were 500,000 couples living together outside of marriage. That number increased in the last census to 5.5 million. Uh, From the years 1964 to 1975, the divorce rates doubled in America. 40% of American children grow up In one-parent households, 60% spend part of their childhood without a parent. A third are born out of wedlock. Again, not statistics to condemn, to make anybody feel bad. Our past is our past, and thank God he doesn't judge us on it. Thank God that we are a new creation in Christ, and thank God that he wants us to grow every day to look more like his son Jesus. But they're sobering statistics of the world in which we live. There's sobering statistics, not only in the day of Moses, in the day of Jesus, but today as well, because we don't have a proper view of what marriage is to look like, and, and, you know, these statistics hit home for me. You know, I I grew up uh, in, you know, a a family uh, that was divorced, that was broken, and I, from the age of five, um, when my parents divorced, it has had a huge impact on me, and anybody, I think that would come from that family. Simon and I, who comes from, he's not here today, but who comes from a similar background, have talked a lot in the last two or three weeks about the profound effect it has on children from that background. And if you've come from that background, you understand what that's like. And for me, you know, growing up, those years were definitely difficult. And I think back and, you know, you ask anybody if they had any you know, good experiences in junior high. Did, has anybody ever had a good experience in junior high looking back? No. Not good experiences, but I remember my junior high experience, not a pleasant one. And I remember many times laying in bed and just asking, God, bring my parents back together. You know, bring my parents back together. And I would, many nights, cry myself to sleep just praying and hoping that this would be the case. Now, obviously that was not the case. God had bigger plans for our family. And, again, we, we don't look at our past to judge we don't look at our past to condemn, we look at our past that, and and any of us who have been in that type of situation, have come from that type of background, who maybe have come from a divorce ourselves, would all probably agree that we've learned quite a bit through those circumstances, haven't we? That sometimes the most difficult circumstances in life are the very circumstances that God uses in your life more than any other for His kingdom, to grow His kingdom, to impact people for His kingdom. And so, while we we think and uh, maybe some of our past are hurtful and hard to dwell on and think on God wants to use those things whatever they might be mistakes that we've made made situations we've come from God wants to take those situations and he wants to impact his kingdom greatly for it Amen Amen This morning we want to talk about the biblical view of marriage. And I I love this because these guys come to Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, really what they're looking for is, give me a reason we can get divorced. Is it lawful for men to divorce their wife? What they're really looking for and what they're really wanting is just excuse that, hey, you know what? This didn't work out. Let's go on. Let's move on. Let's do our thing. See, they viewed... Their view of marriage in this day was more like a contract, right? And if this contract didn't work out, much like you probably, hey, if you work for a company, you probably have some sort of contract. If that contract doesn't work out, if you don't fulfill your end of the agreement, what's going to happen? You're going to lose your job, right? Company's going to move on or whatever else. Their view of marriage was much like a contract, that if your spouse was not fulfilling this contract, then you had every right to move on. Now, I I don't know about you, but I've been married 12 years, and I would think if you'd ask my wife, I won't throw my wife under the bus, I'll throw myself, if you'd ask my wife that there have been times when I probably haven't fulfilled what she envisioned when she married me, right? I know that's hard to believe, but there have probably been times like that, okay? If we would treat things like A contract like these guys wanted to treat it it'd be easy to get out of wouldn't it it'd be easy to move on from it and so these guys are are thinking okay jesus is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife and jesus wants to flip it around jesus wants to take this discussion of divorce and he turns it into a discussion on marriage now we as we look at scripture we want to understand Is it important what Jesus says about anything? It is. And in Mark chapter 10, this is the longest portion on marriage and divorce that Jesus ever speaks on the subject. So I think it's very important that we look at it and see what he has to say. We want marriages that are Christ-centered. We want marriages built on the word of God, on what God says a marriage should look like. Uh, There was a book several years ago. The book was by an author by the name of Jim Collins. And Jim Collins had written a book, and this book was called Built to Last. And it was a business book. It was a business book on how to build your business so it would last through any circumstances, whether it be an economic crisis or whatever. But you would build a business that would last for as long as you wanted it to last. Okay, It was a great book, got great reviews. Well, a few years later, Jim Collins writes an article. And the name of this article was, built to flip. And it was an article about the, you know, the internet age had come upon us, and people were building businesses, right, startups, basically with the idea in hand that you would just flip the business. You would learn from it, you'd do this, you'd sell it as quick as you could, and move on to the next. And sociologists have said, that's much how we treat marriages in today's culture, in America today, with this mentality, okay, we'll do this, we'll learn from it, we'll move on to the next now no doubt many of us if you've been married before or you've been in a relationship before you've learned things from those relationships and I think God wants to teach us and show us things from those relationships and that's important but I think in the end what God is looking for and what he's looking for in marriage is he's looking for that marriage that is built to last right and so he says here, they come up to him, and again, some Pharisees came testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Here's Jesus' response. What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Okay, so what did Moses tell you to do? Well, Moses said, write a certificate. Now, what, what this meant is a certificate was one that in this Again, in this culture, a man, if he was not happy with the way the marriage was going, would just simply give his wife a certificate and he would move on. There was no judge, there was no jury, there was no court of law that he had to go to. A man would just simply, hey, you know what, you're not fulfilling the contract, I'm going to move on and get out of it. Okay, So he would give the certificate. Now the certificate actually was given to the wife so it would protect her a little bit Okay, in this culture. So if she had the certificate, she was then free to remarry. Or if she had the certificate, it would prevent the husband if, let's say, the kids all of a sudden come up, they're a little wealthy, taking care of mom, dad wants to come back in the picture. eh, No, he can't come back and claim this, this marriage and this family. Okay, So the certificate was given to really protect the wife, but really an out for the man in this circumstance. So here's Jesus' response to it. Verse 5, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. If you look at the statistics today of why people, their marriage did not work, why their marriage ended in divorce, you would see things like sexual chemistry, financial issues grown apart, some cases even the in-laws or we just don't love each other anymore. These are the reasons that we see people divorce, right? But I love Jesus, because what they're looking about, what they're looking for is they're looking for an out. They're looking for a reason to get out of this marriage. All right, well, give me a reason. I want to get out of this. What is Jesus saying? The heart of the issue of marriage is it's a heart condition against God. See, the reason marriages fail is not because there's not sexual chemistry or there's not, um, I get caught up on sexual chemistry, there's not financial disagreements or there's not troubles or we haven't grown apart or there's not uh, all these things that go wrong in your marriage. Those things are true, but what is at the root cause of those things? It's that our heart is not right before God. See, the reason marriages fail, the reason any relationships fail is because it's a heart issue and what jesus points them to and what he points them throughout the gospels and what the bible points us through that it's not a matter of our actions but it's a matter of our heart right go to the greatest sermon ever preached the sermon on the mount and the whole sermon is based on you know what it's not that you commit adultery it's that you lust it's not that you murder but it's that you have hate in your heart it's a heart issue If you want to know why your marriage is struggling, if you want to know why your relationship is broken, it comes down to a heart issue. And first and foremost, foremost, a heart issue against God. Above all, your relationship with the living God has to be right. If you want a good marriage, if you want a good relationship with other people, it doesn't start with your marriage. It starts with your relationship with God himself and his son Jesus. If you want success in marriage, success in relationships, check your relationship with him. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book, and and I I figure this is a book that I need to read in the course three times in one day. On Monday in the morning, I get an email from Alan. Alan sends me, hey, read this information on this book by Francis Chan. Uh, you and me for, forever I think is the name of it you and forever me or something like that this is the name of the, the book for, by Francis Chan he says check it out read it great book later that day I have lunch with Simon Simon says hey you see my Facebook post I posted this about this book by Francis Chan usually hear something twice in one day you know trying to get a point well later in the day Nick sends me a message hey check this out from Francis Chan new book okay, I think God is trying to tell me something right maybe he's trying to help my wife out a little bit but here is a book on marriage. Three people one day had sent me. So I've not had the chance to read it. I read chapter one last night just to kind of get, you know, some thoughts going and, and uh, on marriage going. And the, the opening chapter of this book uh, is called Marriage Ain't That Great. That's kind of a funny name for a chapter in a book on marriage, right? But see, the whole point of his book is that? Listen, we get so caught up on marriage, but the point of life is not to have a good marriage, not to have a good family. The point is that we're pursuing His kingdom, that we have eternity on our hearts and on our minds. See, there's a reason that Paul he he, he tells us, hey, it's better not to marry, right? If you can, don't marry, because it distracts you. Marriage, kids, all those things can be a distraction for what's really important, which is eternity which God has set on our hearts. And so Paul's point is, hey, you know what? Some of us, you're going to get married, okay? But the point is, if you do get married, and what Francis Chan and his wife, the point they make in this book, is that many of you are married and will get married. The point is, we need to point each other to Jesus. See, the point of marriage is not that, hey, we get along, we have these nice vacations, there's some good chemistry, but the point of marriage is that we point each other to the Savior. Francis Chan, there is this quote, In chapter 1, it says this. He says, this is the mistake a lot of couples make. They spend a lot of time looking at themselves and each other, but very little time staring at God. When this is the focus, they naturally begin to structure every aspect of their lives around the few years they have with each other on earth. Rather than the millions they will spend in his presence or away from his presence. These people live as though they are not dying. They live as though the king is not returning. See, guys, the point of marriage, the point of our relationship with our spouse is that we point them to eternity. See, marriage is great. I mean, having a partner is great, but the purpose is not that we get distracted, we do our thing, we take our kids to to their t-ball game or whatever else it might be, but that my wife and myself and our kids, we have... Eternity on our minds and our hearts. That we have a kingdom focus. And I believe that Karen and I together can probably do more than what I can do on my own. But it's easy to get distracted. Kids, spouse, we get distracted. And so our, our challenge and encourage, encouragement for us, in our relationships, may we encourage and challenge our spouse to look at him. May our, our marriage not be set on our, here's our next vacation, here's our next whatever, but have eternity. The things that we do now are going to impact all of eternity. May we challenge each other in that way. It is a heart issue. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law. First and foremost, it is a heart issue against God. And secondly, it is a heart issue in your marriage, against your spouse. I, uh, coming from a broken home, one of the things that, that really was important to me is finding people in my life, mentors in my life, where I could look at them and say, that's the type of marriage and family that I want. And anything in life, that's important, isn't it? If you want to be great in whatever work you, are, you do, it's important to look at somebody else who's done it and follow that. If you want to be great in raising your kids, find other people who have had success in raising their kids, Right? I look at Bob and Debbie Short as great examples in raising your kids. That one's trouble. But other than that, they're pretty good kids. Same way in marriage for me, I wanted to find people that had a marriage that I aspired to. And I, I think of two families early in my marriage that I really looked on. It was Rick and and Tozy and Randy and Sherry Nesbitt. And I admired him for two things. One, I said, I want that type of family. I want that type of marriage. And two, there was an individual, one of the spouses in each one of those marriages that had come from a broken home. And I said to myself, they had come from a broken home. They have a solid marriage, a marriage that I want, a family that I want as well. And so I I spent time with them, right? I asked for advice. I looked for things. How can I improve my own marriage. What are the things that I need to do? One of the things that stuck with me was something that Randy and Sherry had said. They said, "Kyle, marriage is not about compromise, right? You probably hear it all the time. Hey, if you want to be successful in marriage, you need to compromise. You need to give in here, give in here. That's not the point of marriage. The point of marriage is to outserve. The point of marriage is to outgive. The point of marriage is to outlove. Or if you're, you know, touchy feely like Tim, maybe outhug, outkiss, all those type of things. But the, the point of marriage is to Really, outserve the other person. Marriage is not 50 50. Marriage is 100% me out-serving my spouse. And you know the kind of response that you get when you outserve, when you serve 100%? Right? What is the response your spouse gives you? Man, they begin to soften. Their hard heart maybe begins to melt. And their response becomes much the same way. I hate to give examples from my own marriage especially when they make me look bad. But uh, Friday, I came home, and, um, you know, I, I greeted my family, and then I played with my son for a while in the basement, and then we went over to some friend's house, watched the Royals win. That was the highlight of the night. Uh, watched the Royals win, and then later that night, kids are in bed, and my wife says to me, says, Kyle, I uh, just want to let you know that when you came home, you gave both your daughters kisses, And then you took your son, you went to the basement, and you played for a while. Now, I had no ill intentions, all right? You know, I wasn't ignoring, I didn't mean to ignore my wife, but had I done it? Yeah. I greeted each of my kids, but had not done the same with my wife. And she called me out on it later that night. Now, she did it in a very loving way. But she could have, right? When we're wronged, this is my response when I'm wronged. You wrong me, I'm going to wrong you back, right? You get me, I'm going to get you. Her response could have been, she could have been, you know, mean to me or whatever else, but she was normal all the night, you know, very loving, whatever else, uh, you know, we had a great night, good time with friends, come home that night, and just very matter of fact, hey, I want to just point this out. And see, my response, much the same way, maybe not initially, I'm like, oh, you know, whatever, but my initial, as God begins to work in my heart, and I'm still a work in progress, I Right? What, what a response that way. Instead of her, if she had responded in such a way that, you know, oh, I'm going to get even with him, I'm going to do this, this, what would have been my response back? Same way, right? We would have been fighting, whatever else, come to blows. It would have been, all, you know, been a terrible night with hanging out with friends. But because she responded, right, marriage not about 50-50, marriage not about compromise, but about me giving 100%. And when we do that, when we outserve, outlove, outgive out-give our spouse's response, to do the same thing in return I think that's how God has designed it that marriage is not compromised. marriage is not about 50-50 marriage is about you giving to your spouse one of the greatest books I ever read I shared this quote many times but it's in The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren and one of the opening lines in the book says this life is not about you this life is not about you, do you hear that? That if you want to be, know what the purpose in life is, it's not about you. If you want to have a successful marriage, I would tell you the same thing. That marriage is not about you. So many people are looking for what they can get out of it, right? Looking for fulfillment, looking for, oh, I want to be happy. I want to, you know, rock in these rocking chairs when we're old or whatever people, you know, whatever. We want to do all these things. But, but marriage is not about you. Marriage is about giving 100% to your spouse. First and foremost, it's about your relationship with him, our Savior. And secondly, it's out-serving, out-giving, out-loving 100% to your spouse. And when we do that, man, our spouse's response to that, man, much the same way. So it's a heart issue. The reason marriage fails, the reason relationships fail is because, first and foremost, our relationship with him, a heart issue to God, and then our heart issue with our spouse He continues on, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So here we are, verse 6, Jesus telling these guys, all right, you know what? You're going back to Moses. You're talking about all these issues. I'm telling you it was a hard issue. I'm going to take you back to creation. I'm going to take you back to where it all began. I'm going to take you back to the way God designed it and so what Jesus does he says all right let's go back to creation you guys want to talk about man you guys want to talk about can he do this can he do that can he get out of his marriage let's go back to creation and see how God has designed marriage and we see it right here between male and female okay this isn't a long discussion on uh, what the biblical view of marriage is but it's very clear that Jesus points us back to creation here that it is between male and female right right but on top of that, see, these guys wanted a contract. These guys wanted a way out. And what Jesus is pointing them to is that marriage is not about a contract. Marriage is a covenant, and it's a covenant that I created, okay? Marriage is something that I have created, not man. See, when man creates something, we create it like this contract. You don't do this for me. I don't do that for you. Oh, we can end the contract. But when God creates a covenant, well, that's a little more serious, isn't it? It's a little more binding. Listen to what it says here. For this reason, and we're talking about Genesis now, Jesus quoting out of Genesis, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so you are no longer two, but one. Okay, I love this. He's, first of all, he's telling us about priority in our marriage. You are going to leave your father and mother and you're going to be with your spouse. The priority in your earthly relationship should be first and foremost with your spouse. You can hear, I've got a friend, and he talks about, he got a divorce several years ago, and he says, one of the reasons my marriage failed is because every time I went, something went wrong, I went back to my parents, and I went to stay at their house, I talked with them, I didn't talk with my spouse. And the priority in relationship with his parents, right? And his marriage failed. Same way, if you have kids or you're going to have kids someday, the, priori- the priority in your relationship should be with your spouse first and then your kids. Prioritize your relationships. It should always be the spouse first. And it's when our kids start ruling our families, right? All of a sudden, we instead of a kingdom-focused, we're focused on them getting to their games or doing this or that. We skip church. We do all these things because we're kid-focused, and not kingdom-focused. And it's important to prioritize your relationships, first and foremost, with your spouse. Your marriage will be better off, you will be better off, and your kids will be better off if there is a priority of relationships in your family. God first, spouse second, and then kids. Uh, Great quote. Uh, This is by uh, Theodore Hesberg. He said this, The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Priority in relationships. It is going to benefit you. It is going to benefit the kingdom. And it's going to benefit your children as well if you have a priority in your relationships. It is because your hearts were hard, but at the beginning God created and uh, made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and he will be united to his wife. This word means shall stick. It's, a bind, it's, a, it's a, this idea of being joined together, bound together. See, when upon marriage, when you marry someone, isn't that an incredible concept? That two shall become one. No longer two people. You are one person. One person joined together. It's a permanent thing. It's an exclusive thing. God has designed marriage as permanent and exclusive. And he goes back to creation to show us exactly that. He continues on in verse 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And who is a covenant by? It's by God. Listen to that right there. Therefore, what God has joined together. Who's joined him together? God himself. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. If God has brought us together, it is a covenant, a covenant not by man, but a covenant by God. See, we treat it like a contract, right? And I'm a Royals fan, obviously, and the Royals signed Omar Infante this year to like a four-year, $10 million a year deal, okay? And he was terrible all year. He had a big home run the other night. But it was a contract. Well, when you give a contract to somebody, what are you expecting? You're You're expecting them to perform. And if they don't perform, you look for any way you can get out of that contract. And the Jews at the time of Jesus, they were doing exactly that. The reason they came to Jesus is that, hey, my spouse is not fulfilling this contract. How can I get out of it? That's really the question. They want to know, Jesus, can I get out of this? I want out of this. Any way that they could. But marriage, as God has designed it, is not a contract. It's a covenant. And a covenant, well, a covenant is permanent. A covenant is a little more important. See, we see here that a fa- you will leave your father and mother, and you will join your spouse, and the two will be one. In God's eyes, permanent, exclusive, covenant, not a contract. Marriage is not about this, this, you know, this feeling. Marriage is not about this uh, human connection. Marriage is a divine joining. Okay? Marriage is not a human connection. It's a divine joining. Now, I don't know if you're like me. The first time, you know, I touched my hands wife, and that little feeling went through me like that, you know? I mean, so th- those aren't bad. That's not the point, isn't it? That's not the point. It's not a human connection. It's a divine joining. I think of a friend I have, uh, and, you know, we went to high school together, and I saw on Facebook, and his, his first marriage ended, and he was on Facebook talking about his new relationship, and he's like, oh, you know, this is great, this is how it was supposed to be the first time, right? And I'm like, man, give it some time. <laughs> give it some time, bro, That's, it's not going to be that way, trust me. Not that I don't have a great marriage, either. there's a lot of sparks flying and all that, but, but we all know that we've been in a relationship, it's not like that first time you, you know, touched hands over here, right? it is not a human connection marriage is a divine joining and sure enough that relationship ended uh, he's since uh, gone on got married but the point remains marriage is a divine joining i get asked the question uh, especially in my time when i was the youth pastor now kyle how do i know if this is the one for me how do i know if this is the one i should marry and It's a good question for anybody that would be single how do i know if this is the one Right. Well, I'm of the thinking, you know what? If she loves Jesus and she reflects that Proverbs 31 woman and she has a kingdom focus, man, you can't go wrong. Go for it, right? But if she doesn't have those three things, then no, she's not the right one for you. That should be the focus. She's got eternity set on her heart. She has eternity set for you guys. She's got a kingdom focus. She loves Jesus, and she looks like that Proverbs 31 woman. Well, yes, by all means. Simple, because once we get married, it's not about that, that human connection, isn't it? And anybody who's been married for, for some time in here, and this isn't to throw anybody that's older under the bus, but when you've been married for a lot of years, right? you, you recognize that you know, your spouse may not be the same person you married. We change, hopefully for the better a lot of times. But there's this covenant in place, this covenant. It is a divine covenant joining by god john piper talks about this and he has a new book coming out as well and in it he says covenant keeping is the meaning of marriage and not romance covenant keeping is the meaning of marriage and not romance is romance great yeah but you know where romance blossoms from you know where it comes from covenant keeping And when you're in a marriage and there is that covenant keeping, will romance bloom? Yes, absolutely. Has there been times when there's been struggles in our marriage? Karen, don't answer that. All right, so yeah, there's been times where there has been struggles in our marriage. But both of us made a commitment a long time ago. You know, we don't even utter the words divorce. Those words have never come up in any any argument we've ever had. Because we believe in this covenant, this joining by God, that this is God-ordained. Not us. This isn't a contract that just because I'm not fulfilling it, she can run out on me. And I don't fulfill it a whole lot more than she doesn't fulfill it. It is a divine joining. The the prime example that we get of this covenant relationship is found in our relationship with Jesus. See, if you read and you would look at Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us that the relationship that Jesus has with his church is much like the marriage relationship. We are his bride. Isn't that awesome? We are his bride. And I heard John Piper say that any time he gets asked the question, so can I divorce, divorce, divorce my spouse? He says, well, can Jesus divorce you? Right? Isn't that awesome? That no one can snatch, him, snatch us out of his hands. That Jesus will never leave or forsake us. And I would imagine as I look around the room, there have been times by earthly standards, well, he had every right to do that. But that is the covenant that we have. It's the new covenant. The covenant that God has given us in Jesus. Never leave or forsake us. No one will ever snatch us out. He loves us that much. And as we look at our own lives, we examine our own lives, Man, we, that, that should change us. That, that's the kind of thing that should keep us kingdom focused. That's the kind of thing that should help us set our hearts on eternity, this covenant that we have with him. And what we're going to do now is we're going to transition into a time that we remember that great covenant that God has made with us. Jesus says, or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, you know, this is the covenant. This is the new covenant. And by his blood, by his blood, our sins have been covered. By the finished work on the cross, we've been forgiven. We talked about at the beginning that no matter our past, no matter the things we've done, no matter the mistakes we've made, no matter where we've been, it's covered in the finished work of Christ. And what we want to do this morning as we prepare to take communion is we want to examine our heart. The Bible tells us to examine our heart. And if your marriage is not right, I would tell you, first start by getting your relationship with him right. Because working on your marriage without having a right relationship with him, ain't going to last. Get your heart with him right first. And if there's sin that needs to be confessed, confess it to him. And then get your marriage right. Or get whatever relationship that needs to be made right, made right. We have a covenant that cannot be broken. It cannot be broken. Jesus has gone to the cross. Jesus has paid the price once and for all. And what an example. That, that picture of what He's done is to be a, a picture of what our marriage is to be like, once and for all. right? Not to be broken. because what God has brought together, let no man. let no man separate. May we dwell on what Jesus says marriage is. May we look at what the Bible says marriage is. Be covenant keepers. Be people who seek the best for our, our spouse first. Uh, my hope and my challenge for us as Creekside is that we have the type of marriages that when the world sees these type of marriages, they see Jesus. Right. That's what a covenant marriage is to look like. A covenant marriage should point people to the covenant we have with God through His Son Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. God, where would we be? Where would we be without Him? God, we we thank you that you do not look at our past, you do not look at the mistakes we've made. But God, when you look at us, you see Jesus. God, what joy should fill our hearts. God, what a thing that you have done. We shouldn't help but be able to want to tell the world about this because of this great thing you have done. And because of this covenant you have with us through Jesus, God, God may that, that impact our marriage. And may we look at this covenant that we have in our marriage that it's not by man, it's not a contract, but a covenant that you, you have joined. And God, may we, we take that serious. And God, may when the world look at Creekside and the marriages within Creekside, God, they would see you. They would want you. They would want that type of marriage. And it's not by anything we do, but by you alone. God, as we take communion here, we, we want to remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. That past, those things that I've done, God, that that should have condemned me to hell. That should have been the end of me. But you loved us. You cared for us so much. You gave us your son. God, thank you that you do not look at our past. You look and you see Jesus. Thank you for your son, who spilled his blood to cover my sin, whose body was broken. Thank you for the finished work at the cross that I am a new creation in your son, Jesus. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we we thank you uh, for Jesus. God, we thank you for our glorious King. God, we, we long for your return. God, help us to Keep eternity and your kingdom in mind in our lives, in our marriages, with our kids. May we be kingdom centered, God. We may we take this idea of a covenant marriage serious, God. That uh, you have designed it, God. That the world would look at it, they would see your own covenant with your church through your Son Jesus. God, uh, help us to love you first and foremost, to love our spouse, to love our kids. We pray it and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.